Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello. Christian, where are you? This looks like a different room. It is. I'm in a hotel room in Beaufort, South Carolina. Oh, very nice. How's the weather in Beaufort? Oh my goodness, it's raining cats and dogs. I am just sick about it because, of course, the next two days after we leave are going to be bright, sunny, and 60. So, uh, and I'll be heading back to the snowy wilds of Chicago. So, I'm not very happy about this. But uh, it's been a lovely time here. I did have two um, lovely days where I was able to be out in the sun and catch a sunrise. And those are on our live feeds. Hopefully, people aren't sick of those. But anyway. And with us, as always, is the awesome Jason Rugg, who's using, are you using that nice camera again? Yeah, I am. It's, it's very yeah, fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I got it working again. <laughs> good job. You, we didn't get your hi there. Hey there. Hey there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, I want to ask you very quickly what's going on with you. Tell me what's going on in your life since we talked to you last. Jason, go ahead. Well, uh, I, see, yeah, see, I don't. I didn't come here prepared for that. <laughs> didn't you read the outline for our show that Bradley yeah. so wonderfully crafted? It's yeah, in there. You give an update. It, it makes sense now. I didn't know that you really wanted to know what was going on with us. I thought you were saying we were going to ask what's going on. Yeah, it wasn't made abundantly clear that it meant us. You know, oh, right. J team. <laughs> All right, J-Team, I'll give you a second to think about it while I give you a film update. How's that? Okay. That'll that sounds work. good. So, as I told you before, I am in Beaufort, South Carolina with the Beaufort International Film Fest. I'm here with Jacob, my second-born son. Uh, it is his first film festival, so that's been really neat to expose him to that because he is a cast member in our film. He played a 101st reenactor, and he was also, uh, you know, a PA um, on set in Normandy. So it's great to have him here. I just have to tell you, this film festival has knocked it out of the park. I have just been really impressed by Beaufort. Uh, I strongly recommend filmmakers submit to this film festival. It's run by Ron and Rebecca Tucker. Uh, they are an amazing couple that's been doing this about 16 years. Wonderful people. Ron is an ex-Marine. Uh, this is right near Paris Island. It's sort of in the um, South Sea Islands of Cal uh, Southern um, South Carolina. And they uh, just really are passionate about filmmaking, filmmakers, film goers, and they want to make sure it's an excellent experience for everyone. So they've taken the COVID protocols very seriously and they have set up a whole viewing room that's very socially distanced and everybody's, um, you know, their temperatures are taken and masks are required. And so all of that is happening. They have um, selected about 60 films to be in this film festival. It's Monday through Friday from, you know, nine in the morning until 930 at night. And uh, they're showing shorts and features. They have a screenwriting section. So uh, it's, it's in, impressive how many people have shown up. This has been, I think, the largest number of filmmakers we've had at a film festival. And we are, like I said, nominated for the duty and honor category. But honestly, um, I do not think we have a snowball's chance in hell of winning an award at this festival, quite frankly. Uh, and you know what? I, I am actually okay with that. Um, 
I just finished washing, watching only half of one of the other duty and honor category nominees. It's a film called Bastards Road. And it is a film about a group of Marines that fought in, um, I think it was, it's either Iraq or Afghanistan that are really battling PTSD pretty severely and the suicide rates are ridiculous. And so it's about that journey, one soldier's journey. He does a walk across the country and sees other guys in his unit and gold star families. And it's very beautifully shot, very moving. And uh, I do feel like there needs to be a highlight on this issue. And so I really, I, I would be thrilled to lose to Bastards Road because I really do think they have an excellent piece of work there that needs to be highlighted. So that's kind of what's been happening with us this week. The film was very well received. Um, we screened on Tuesday uh, to a very full audience and we received a standing ovation. So that was very humbling. Wow. Um, and I was very thankful for that. We've had lots of people come up to us and uh, tell us how moved they were and how uh, much they learned and how their minds were changed about so many things. We did have two Normans with us who uh, that was such a treat. They had never seen the film before, but uh, they are very supportive of the American veterans. Virginia um, Durr being the one that I met first, and she works for Delta and is just really wanting to figure out how we can be on Delta airline flights. And um, her mom in Normandy is willing to help us. So I'm excited about that French connection. And people were thrilled to hear about their stories. So I, I feel like we've had a really excellent time here. One of the most fun things I had was uh, the film that was showed right before us was a short called Mend, M-E-N-D. And it was a film by a family, uh, The I think it's Panuski family. I'm not exactly sure how to say their name, but it's either Nooski or Panuski. And it's Jay and Mike and Hannah. Hannah is the daughter. She produced the film. And this film is about a man who has lost his wife and he's dealing with the stages of grief and he uh, she is a Navy captain and it's just his process of how he moves through that grief and then uh, begins to um, transform and begin to relate with other people in his community. It's extremely touching. I think it was a wonderful film that was paired paired well with ours. But during the whole time during the film, I kept going, who is that actor, the lead actor? I'm like, I know, I know him from something. And I mean, I think I knew him from everything. I went and looked at his IMDb <laughs> credit and he's one of those working character actors that, I mean, he started in 1984. I don't know if Spaceballs was his first film, but he was in Spaceballs. <laughs> and he, I mean, all the way up to High Tower, which is filming right now. And, you know, he's he was Bobby Bowden in um, We Are Martyrs. Marshall. He was uh, the, a cop in Remember the Titans, like all these family uh, films that my family is really, really into. He's watched. He's also been in shows like Roseanne. So he just has this extensive career. And we ended up having lunch with them and just quite a delightful family. I really, um, I would love to do something with them sometime. So that's been a real delight, particularly for my son, Jacob, who was a big We Are Marshall, Remember the Titan fan. So what, uh, was, so what, was the, what was the name? I want to look this person up because I feel okay. like I'll recognize them too. Yes. Oh, you will. And while you could tell us at the end, some of the other movies that he's in, 
Um, you spell it's Mike and you spell his last name P N um Panuski. How do you spell <laughs> okay. that? P N I E W S K I Mike Panuski. And the exciting thing is he's willing to come on our show and I think we could probably get him on the movie proposal too which would be i'm mean, there's a whole host of movies there you can pick from josh for the what is old <laughs> yeah awesome. i totally i totally recognize this guy yeah, yeah. I, the thing of like i couldn't tell you what though <laughs> right exactly they He's said been in everything <laughs> yeah they said um they said in there that uh he is He's this kind of guy where you see him in the airport or you see him somewhere and everybody, everyone comes up to him and says, do I know you from church or do I know you from blah, blah, blah? Like, and nobody can figure it out. And she says, oftentimes he's like, nope, nope. I'm just a pastor. Nope. I mean, you know, he just, <laughs> he's very introverted, I guess. Uh, and, uh, but he's, he's incredibly creative. He wrote the script for Mend. He was the lead actor in Mend and, uh, he's just a very talented guy. He just wrote a new book called Your Screenplay Sucks. <laughs> so apparently uh, it's just come out. And uh, so, yeah, definitely check those things out for him. I can't wait to get him on the podcast. Um, he's got a lot to teach us. Uh, and there were, um, I, I think I've made some really great relationships here this week. Another one was uh, Chris White, who did a film called Electric Jesus. It is funny. It is thought provoking it uh sort of pokes a little fun at the christian subculture in the 80s when all the rock music was uh kind of getting big in the christian subculture and it follows a young christian like heavy metal band that's patterning themselves after striper and so um <laughs> and it and it stars kevin from the office i don't remember his name which i'm embarrassed to say but uh he's got the one of the lead roles in the film. So it's uh, very Brian, well. Brian Bumgardner. Okay. It, yeah. It's very well done. And it has a lot of very catchy original music that apparently they got a record deal and they're pressing like, you know, real albums and they're coming out like next week or something like that. So Chris said he'd be, uh, you know, willing to come on our podcast as well. So we've got some interesting, fun guests coming up pretty soon. Um, other than that film news, um, the only other thing is I did get um an email from our uh, distribution company that they have signed off on our trailers. And so we're about to sort of press those trailers into action. It's got the um, factory film studio logo in the front of that. And uh, not, you know, we're going to make a formal announcement uh, pretty soon because um, really I've only talked about it here on the podcast, but we're going to make a formal announcement to everyone pretty soon. And they sent us their new redesign of the poster. They have decided to keep our marketing, which is nice. Um, and they just, you know, tweaked it a tiny little bit and they're making sales on our behalf. I'm hoping, hopefully I'll get an update about that soon. And we still are, uh, we still got a few deliverables that we're working on trying to get our final releases signed and, um, stuff like that. So we're still trying to raise money. Um, we haven't had a lot of donations in the last month. So um, I'm really trying to figure out some ways to keep our company alive. So that's the news from me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I thought of something. Yeah. I, ha I had a colonoscopy this week. That's my update. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh. 
Thank I'm you. Doing fine. Everything, everything checks out great. Another That's, 10 years for the next one. So I'm actually really happy about that. I'm joking around, but I'm super thankful to hear that. I'm glad you got it done early. I hear it's supposed to be ha- done earlier now these days. So if you're out there and you're 45, you might look into uh, to getting that done. Uh, Josh, the last time we talked, I'd asked, asked you about the movie proposal and you said you didn't really know what you guys were doing the next episode, but I have seen the next episode release. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it was our hundredth episode. We, uh, the, the film that was featured was Derek Del, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Derek Delgadio. Delgadio, I think. Delgadio. Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. It's a. It's directed by Frank Oz. It's produced by Stephen Colbert and his wife. It's a live, like off Broadway, or maybe went on Broadway, but I think it started off Broadway. One man show that involves storytelling and magic and audience participation, and it's uh, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely worth a discussion. It's 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 touchy feely. I think Jason and I liked it overall. I think Sky. Was I don't know. Did Sky like it? I don't know if Sky likes anything. (laughs) 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 His whole thing was, it's just a magic trick. It's not, it's just a magic trick. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, but it was a cool magic trick. (laughs) It was a cool magic trick. Um, I had mixed feelings about it, but overall it it was very positive. And I think uh, it's on Hulu. And the the fact that Frank Oz directed it, Stephen Colbert is involved in it, and it's just something different is a a reason to check it out, I think. But but we had fun talking about it on the podcast and um, talked about a a lot of other things, too. The the really interesting thing about it is that Frank Oz directed the show itself, like on Off-Broadway, he directed the show, and then he also directed this adaptation of it to screen, which was interesting to see how... They took that and they they enhanced it with little bits of animation here and there. And they, they just they did some things to it that were pretty interesting to see on screen that you couldn't have seen in the theater. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, check out in and of itself and then go check out the movie proposal 100th episode and see if you agree with they what they say. Uh, by the way, I, I don't think that we have mentioned this, but Jason is also on that podcast. I don't think we've ever <laughs> said that before, but um. Yeah. I feel like it's come up that like I'm there. I don't know if it's really <laughs> that. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm like uh, the sideshow. Uh, <laughs> You're always the sideshow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I would actually like to have you talk a little bit more on my show. So why don't you tell us about what's going on in your creative world? Okay. Um, well, let's see. It's, it's actually been a really, really busy um, last couple of weeks because I'm in the process of finishing up uh, an animation project, actually two separate animation projects at the same time. And then I have to move on to finish a, a third animation project, but I'm focusing on two of them right now. So I'm like, are those yours? Are those your animation projects? No, they're for other people. That's okay. it's how I produce the stuff that I want to make <laughs> is sure. working on, on that stuff. So I'm right in the middle of finishing up uh, three projects simultaneously. Um, And so it's, it's, I haven't had much time to do anything else (laughs) besides that. So that's kind of my update right now. So quick question. If anybody wants to hire you to work on their animation projects, are you available for hire? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But if they go to Jason rug, that's rug with two G's uh, com. There's a contact form. You can reach out to me there. And, um, I think that's awesome. I mean, Jason is a wonderful person to work with. So if you have any, uh, any projects you want to, you know, 
hand out, give them a try for sure. Well, thank well you. I'm glad that you're. Uh, I'm glad that you're busy. We all need paying work and more of it. So, kudos to you. Well, we have something special today. Um, one of the things I've really loved having Brad um, be our new producer of this podcast is that he's really helped us uh, bring on some new guests. And uh, I had somebody reach out to me a while back uh, with a project, and I was super interested in it. And you know. Well, tell us, Josh, what do we who, what do we, what do we got for today? Okay, well, we have a special guest, Michael. If you want to unmask yourself, we have Michael Peroff, who's the executive producer, producer and co-writer of Behind the Strings, the independent documentary film of the Shanghai Quartet. Michael, thanks for being with us here today. Good to be here. Um, Michael has a background. Um, you have a background. Oh, well, you actually not only executive produced and produced, and you're the co-writer of the film, but you've actually co-founded a TV production in China, of all places, right? Uh, yes. You develop a weekly prime, primetime programming uh, for China Central TV. Uh, sounds like a lot of different TV in Shanghai and Beijing. You've worked for several global advertising agencies, including Leo Burnett, which we're familiar with. Uh, from being from this area. So again, welcome to the show here and uh, we're excited to talk to you about your film. Nice to be here. Yeah, he is a um, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find out about us, Michael? Uh, I started walking, uh, I'm a swimmer, but I, I started doing swimming and walking and I said, you know, I, I, I'd walk for 40, 50 minutes. And so I decided to try podcasting. And so when I was looking through things that would interest me, I found something on documentary film, which is what I've been doing for over five years. So that was the hook. And I started listening and uh, enjoyed it very much and uh, learned a lot. Uh, shared a lot of the problems and hurdles that you and your team have experienced. And, um, and you know, just been a, a listener. So. Well, I don't know how in the world you could learn anything from me, but <laughs> I mean, you've been doing this far longer than I have, and you have far much more experience than I do, and I feel like you have a lot you could teach us. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, that, you know, it's interesting. I'm listening to the Ken Burns Master Class Series. I, you... I recommend it. Okay. So, uh, there's a quote that I, I can't possibly forget, and that is, he says, you'll never learn more than doing your first documentary. And it's really true because, uh, well, I had production experience and been involved in production uh, most of my career. Uh, they're just the hurdles that come up in documentary film. I mean, number one is raising money. So that's always the biggest hurdle. And you uh, indicated your issues with that. And uh, Ken Burns, as successful as he's been, also feels the same way that uh, trying to uh, raise money for productions that he, he likes to say when they're looking at a guy who looks like he's 12 years old, he's asking for $5 million, you know, uh, it's a challenge. So, but you learn to deal with it as you have. So. Yeah. I mean, I recommend that Ken Burns masterclass constantly on this podcast, just because it, it was so instrumental to me in, in getting started and believing that I could do this. I mean, when Ken said that he has keeps two binders on his desk of all his rejection letters for funding, I'm like, oh my gosh, Ken Burns rejected for funding. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. He says he still gets them. So. Yeah. 
Uh, it's crazy. Very, very interesting. So. You know why? You know why that is? Because films do not make money. <laughs> I mean, let's just let's Ooh. just be honest. <laughs> they just don't. And so now, you know, everybody's wising up. And so they're not forking out the dough thinking they're going to make their money back. Right, right, right. That's very true. Uh, but it's been a great experience on our end. And we've had our challenges and we've had our pauses uh, in production. So we raised more money to go shoot and then we'd raise more money and go shoot more and we would fly to France or we'd fly down to Mexico. And then, um, you know, we went to China for two weeks. That was our biggest production trip uh, and followed the quartet on tour in four cities. Um, uh, but, you know, looking back, it's been very joyful. You know, the, the, the story is the key and that's all we cared about. So can you, Gosh. Can you give us the elevator pitch? For your documentary, so we yes. can get an idea of what we're talking about here. And your title, your title, your logline, and your synopsis. Why don't you lay those on us? <laughs> okay. Uh, the title of our film is Behind the Strings. Uh, it's about a classical string quartet that have been performing for 36 years professionally. Uh, they originally came out of China, but the, uh, the three principals that were most that are in the film have been citizens uh, for 25, 30 years. Uh, so they're really more U.S. than they are China. But uh, we, we wanted to capture a three-dimensional view of this very interesting quartet. And really, you got to put aside the music they play, as beautiful as it is. It's an acquired taste. Because uh, the film is really how these guys strived over time and worked very hard, got discovered early and were nurtured by some of the leading uh, musicians within that field in the U.S. Uh, when they first came here, which was uh, like in the mid-80s. And uh, we wanted to film how they got there to the top of what they do, but we also wanted to get the family story because they have full-time jobs teaching at a, uh, a major state university uh, in a, uh, a conservatory, but on top of that, they travel 180 days a year uh, all over the world to perform and to teach. Uh, heavily Europe. Uh, recently, China, is, they weren't always performing in China that much. They would go to Shanghai and Beijing. But one of the things we, we stumbled upon in doing our documentary was a change in their performance schedule. When we began filming them, they were only going a couple times a year uh, to Shanghai and Beijing. And then in about year three, we began to notice they're always going to China. So we asked, what's going on? They said, well, we're being booked in the secondary cities throughout China. And, uh, and this relates to what's happened in China in terms of the money that the, the country's gotten very wealthy. And they've built magnificent uh, performance venues in most of the cities, uh, the secondary cities. Uh, a secondary city could have five to 10 million people in it. Um, and they perform there and also do teaching, but it, it, it's a change. And it really is, we picked up a, a sub narrative about how China is changing in terms of music. Even when I was there, I had no idea that classical, Western classical music was uh, anything that was being performed there. Uh, if anything, I was most surprised when I worked in China. I'd be in Shanghai many times and I like jazz, and I would go to this uh, very well-known jazz uh, at the Peace Hotel, right on the Bun, which is the river. Uh, uh, they, on the roof, they have a rooftop garden, and this uh, jazz group performs, and has since the 1930s. 
not the same performers, obviously. So, you know, that was kind of interesting, but I knew nothing about classical string quartet music. And that was an accident because back here, many years later, when I stopped working in China, um, I saw something in the local newspaper that said the Shanghai Quartet's going to perform this weekend. I said, oh, I like Shanghai jazz, assuming it was going to be jazz. And I went and I didn't look at the program. I, you know, went out in my seat and I opened the program. And it's all about Beethoven, Mendelssohn and Mozart. And I said, well, that's a switch. Uh, so that was my first exposure to the music. And I found it interesting. Uh, what happened later was, um, uh, and I had no idea they, they taught at that university or anything like that. But uh, my wife became friends with one of the musician's wives. And uh, she always used to say, we have to get together because your husband worked in China and he knows Shanghai and Beijing and all the other cities. But it took a year and a half to do that because they were always traveling. Finally, we got together and I began to see a different view of the Shanghai Quartet. I went to their performances, but then I would go back to their house. They'd always have a little group coming back. And I got to know the rest of the quartet. And I said, this is an interesting story. And it resonated with a lot of things that I knew about China, particularly the Cultural Revolution, which happened in, uh, from 66 to 76 when Mao Zedong was in power. And he banned, and really his wife, but both of them, they banned anything Western. And Western music was part of that. And the two founding uh, brothers, uh, Wei Gong and uh, Hong Gong Li, uh, who were in the film, uh, their family suffered. Uh, the conservatories were closed. Their parents were, uh, the, the quartet that's playing now, the two founding brothers are third generation classical musicians. Uh, but uh, you could get in big trouble for performing um, Beethoven during that period. And so when they would tell me their family story, it resonated with what I knew about the Cultural Revolution. I kept saying, there's a story here, there's a story. And uh, I was at a point in my life, I was planning to do a number of documentaries that I had in my head. And this one was top of the list. Uh, first of all, I thought this would be easy. They live in the same town where they you know, teach is in the same town. This is going to be easy. I, I can knock this off pretty quick. Uh, and I, I, I partnered with a, um, a, a documentary where well, he's a corporate uh, filmmaker, but also he does documentaries and he's uh, a cinematographer as well as a uh, director. And so we put together, we did a preliminary interview with what well, we pitched them and, and they, they said, okay, and we would have full creative control, which is an important thing. You know, this is not a pitch film, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, you, you see, you, you see things that happen. And one of the most interesting things that happen, and it's very cinematic, is the way they get to their really greatest music is by negotiating with each other how a piece should be performed. And that I, I put negotiation in quotes because it's really arguments, harsh argument sometimes. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. I actually, <laughs> I, my first question was, I know, I understand they they argue to get to the heart of the good art, but I also wonder, do they like each other? <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a good question. Um, first of all, which comes out, I hopefully in the film, is um, they certainly professionally admire each other. You know, and that's what's important, the, the professionalism. And but not unusual to this group of uh, or category of musicians, quartet musicians, 
they lead very separate and private lives from each other. Now, the two brothers is a little bit different, but they 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 purposely do not want to socialize. And when they travel, uh, we had a hotel scene checking in at the hotel while they were in tour in New England. And one of them says, I want to be in a room not near the other three, you know, and, and they do that in every hotel. Um, and, and, you know, when they're asked to come to a party that's related to a performance, they're together, they're very sociable, but they really don't have a whole lot of involvement in each other's lives. And um, they need that separation. And, um, and part of it is driven back to the key point of these arguments sometimes are really tough. And in, uh, the, we just released, I think, the version you saw, the 75-minute uh, uh, piece, which we put back a section, which uh, the arguments are still there. But we interviewed, we were in Taos a couple of years, three years ago, uh, we were filming and they were rehearsing in, a, in a, uh, someone's apartment and they were arguing about something. And I said, I said, what are they arguing about? They just performed this last weekend. You know, I mean, it should be down pat. So that afternoon, we, we had an interview with Nick, uh, the one American, which is interesting to viewers to see uh, someone who comes from Spanish Harlem in New York City uh, with these three Chinese guys, Chinese American guys. So Nick said, and I think it's true of all art, it's, it's not only music. He said, if we don't keep reaching to be better, we then will we'll, we'll fall back. We have to always keep trying to be better. And, and that's typically what their arguments are about, although they don't say that. Um, it was one, very interesting. One time I walked into their studio and they were listening to a CD of a performance and making comments about it. That should have been that way. And then one of them said to me afterwards, it's a whole lot easier to have the discussion of this when it's a CD and we're not rehearsing it and arguing with each other. So, but it's, it was a fascinating thing for us to uh, experience and to capture in the film. Um, and, you know, so I told this story to someone and they said, you know, um, um, oh God, quarterback, former Boston. Um, Tom, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. He, he makes the same uh, point. He says, I don't want to be the best of everyone. I want to be my best. And, uh, and, and I think it, it really um, goes into all endeavors, you know, if you're really serious about what you're doing. So, yeah. Well, you did a, a, a lovely job with this film. Um, you know, I actually do like classical music and uh, I did know about, you know, uh, these the quartets i and i had even heard of the shanghai quartet of course i didn't know any of the behind the scenes stories um but i i found it all very interesting and a compelling story um i do think it's nice that you uh brought in sort of the family perspective because it it's almost like a military family where the wives are left tending to to the children and experience a lot of loneliness and hardship because they can't count on their husbands. Um, there's not a lot of work-life balance for all of those guys, you know. Um, but I think you did a, a lovely job telling their story. My question is, you know, uh, <laughs> my business son, Hunter, who sadly uh, is no longer with us because he's going to fly jets for the Navy. Um, he basically says to me, Christian, you have to think of your end audience. You know, who are you? Who is the 
audience that's going to be buying this, you know, um, and and what do they want and are you going to be able to sell this? So, I guess that's my question to you. It is clearly a niche, niche, you know, film. Um, what do you, what do you hope will happen with this and are things going as you had hoped? Um, yes, it, it's happening. You know, we're a little bit behind uh, your film's trajectory uh, right now. I mean, we're still in the middle of film festivals. In fact, one starts tonight, uh, the Beloit International Film Festival, which will be shown, and they're going to do a Q&A in the middle of the week. So we're getting film festival pickup. Um, then in with distribution, we're about to consider, do we go with a distributor, uh, assuming they'll take us? Uh, but there are, within the film industry, we found there are, you know, um, there's segments that this film would appeal to. There are people that uh, specialize in art uh, before COVID, you know, art film houses. Uh, and uh, so, but we still haven't figured out our distribution deal. We know in terms of target audience, uh, it is clearly uh, the, the small, the um, uh, chamber music audiences. They are passionate about the music. We see that we've gone to so many concerts and festivals. Uh, they're just passionate. Uh, and we think that kind of, we need to satisfy them. And we've had uh, a screening or two with that audience uh, in different places and gotten pretty good feedback. Um, uh, and then I think it'll, it'll band out to classical music. And I think it'll begin to uh, hopefully get a buzz. Uh, they may, it's not unusual that, you know, a couple, uh, one may like this kind of music and the other one just likes jazz. And I, and I know in a lot of couples like that. So what I found is that we attract one and then the other one kind of rides along just to see it. And all of a sudden they become interested. You know, it's um, our film is really a human interest story. I mean, there's performance, but it's not a performance film. Uh, and we did that by design. There was a film done 32 years ago about the Guarneri Quartet. And um, uh, they had much more music. It, the la towards the end of the movie, it's 11 minutes of, of a uh, piece. And we decided that in th this day and age, uh, the audience didn't need to have that. We could still satisfy most of the chamber music people. And I think most of our music pieces are two minutes uh, or yeah. two minutes or less. So it, we, we hopefully balance that enough to then expand our audience. And, um, uh, but there are other, I mean, there's lots of segments of this audience. There's uh, the whole teaching community, which is large and diverse and highly segmentable, which we're looking at right now. Um, there are conferences for violin. There's a huge conference coming up next month for violin teachers all over the United States. Uh, and it's a huge conference. Well, it's, it'll be virtual, but it was a large uh, in-person kind of thing. So that's how we see our target audience. Um, you know, we're, we're not a romantic comedy. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're not an action film. You know, we, we cross those off the list. Uh, but we think we'll buffer into some other areas that are um, uh, beyond just chamber music audiences. So. Excellent. So, Josh, Jason, I want to give you guys time to ask questions. So uh, had you ever made, like, made a film before? You have production background, but have you made a 
And I don't know, is this a feature length film? I think you said 75 yes, minutes? Yes, 75, the one we released uh, this week, 75 minutes. So is this your first, what you call film? Um, yeah, in, in the traditional sense, uh, yes. My company that I co-founded in China with a uh, uh, Chinese national and a couple other people, we were doing uh, production weekly primetime shows which were international shows, overseas Chinese, that we've, we would do this all over the world and then bring it back, edit, and, and be on the uh, network and a couple of municipal stations. But, you know, that was, uh, I wasn't a, a line producer in that. Um, you know, I was the CEO of the company with, uh, with this one Chinese national. Uh, and then when I was in the agencies, it was really uh, commercial production. And again, I was in account management, not in creative or even in the production department, but I still had it. But it's clearly my first. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was able to borrow a lot of skill sets that I had um, into this project, but I had still had to learn a lot more. So, so what, what surprised you the most about making a film versus past projects? I'm sorry, making a film that what? what? What surprised you the most? Like, were you, did you go in thinking, well, you know, I've, I've got enough experience. I think I've got these skill sets down. Was there something that caught you off guard, something that surprised you? You thought, well, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I would say the thing that comes to mind right off the top of my head was uh, go back to raising the money. I figured uh, I was an account, I was a trained account guy. I worked on uh, many categories of business and have had to make pitches for budgets or things like that and explain why it was good. So I said, this is a no brainer for me, you know? Um, and, uh, and I had a much larger budget in mind, I might add. So uh, we didn't get that. Um, I don't think anybody does. Um, so that, it was, that was the, the probably the biggest surprise. Um, you know, we had other issues that popped up in production, but, um, you know, you somehow just become resilient uh, and, and you just march on and you don't always succeed, but you then march around. And, you know, uh, sometimes you got to march down in order to get up. Uh, so, you know, that it just comes with the territory. So, yeah. Does that sound familiar? Yes, sounds very familiar. And thank you, Ken Burns, for saying just keep marching. You know, you just got to keep going. You can't quit. Exactly, just quit. Exactly, exactly. See, I didn't look at the Ken Burns thing until uh, really 90% was done. I mean, not 90, we still have, you know, we're, we're, we're out of post. I, we were out of post when I uh, began to look at the series. And uh, I said, man, is he right? You know, so many times. <laughs> so. What, what advice would you give just having, you know, made your first film and having the production experience you've had, you know, what are a couple of pieces of advice you would give a, a first time filmmaker? Um, I'd say, you know, uh, if you're not a persistent person um, uh, or can't get that skill set to see beyond the fail failure, I mean, you, you, first of all, you have to love the project. I mean, love the idea of what the film is about and believe that there is an audience for it. And once you have that set inside of you, that will tune you up uh, uh, heavily for that persistence part. And, um, and I say that's the most important, uh, the, the biggest thing. So. Jason, you got any questions? 
Yeah, I'm curious. I know with um, Christian's documentary, there was a lot of writing that had to be done for figuring out, you know, what does the voiceover look like and how do we tell this story? So I'm curious, um, we mentioned at the top that you were a co-writer on this film, right? Yeah. So what, what did that, what does that role look like for a documentary like this? Well, it's, you know, it's not like writing, uh, you know, term papers or, uh, you know, things in English class uh, in, in school. Uh, it's, it's more thinking about how we weave the story together. And um, I had a rough idea of what the components were going to be. And my partner, Hal Rifkin, and I spent a lot of time uh, as we learned more before we began actually doing production. It was, it was pre-production as we began to learn more and, and sorting out what we thought the important things and who do we want to talk to? And uh, what are the stories that we'd like to get? We may not get them. We accepted the fact there's some things that may not, we just may not be able to get for whatever reason, but that we knew we, we had about 12, 13 uh, narrative braids, if you will, or strands that we wanted to braid together. Um, and, uh, so that was the first part of the writing, of thinking it through the stories. Um, there wasn't any one narrative that would really justify the film by itself, but it, we needed to bring things that related. And uh, so that was part of it. The other part was um, initially we thought we were in our early trailer development, uh, we had some production done and we did some trailer and, um, uh, we, we, we thought we may want to have a, a narrator. So we, we went online and we looked for voiceovers. <laughs> and we can't, you know, it's really great. I mean, what's happened over the past five years from a, a producer's point of view who, who wants to get this, you don't have to go to a traditional studio and they find the people and all that's, all that's gone. You know, everybody's got a little studio in their closet uh, that's that's in voiceover, right? It's a, uh, and and uh, so we, we we got some voices and we did readings of that and we wrote some copy, um, uh, which is all gone. I mean, it's ancient history. We realized that really was not going to help our film. Uh, it was in a trailer, but we 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 got rid of that. So. Uh, the writing then went in another area. We, we did many more interviews of people than are in the film. Uh, and some of them were good, but, you know, you can't fit them all in. Um, yeah. and, and once we had our threads, and I have to tell you, uh, the, uh, Tan Dun, the Chinese composer who did the music, for, got an Oscar for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the uh, 2008 Beijing Olympics music, uh, he was... Um, uh, a fabulous interview, hard to get. It took us two and a half years to get him because he's so busy and booked. But he would just go on, and it was like it was like poetry to our ears. I mean, it just it didn't re- totally relate to our film, but his vision of the world was just this extraordinary presentation. Well, we had to, you know, our, fortunately we had a very good editor. I should mention her in this, Kate, uh, Tracy Kring, who's um, just a superb editor. And, you know, she, and she, she never heard of Tendon. She did a lot of Wikipedia research on, she fell in love with him. And she kept saying, I love this guy. I love this guy. <laughs> and so I expect we would see a lot of his stuff surfacing in the edits. 
Well, she sliced it down to the core, you know, where it really fit whatever was happening in the prior couple of scenes. And uh, so, you know, that was, that was a process of writing. So the writing would be, I would do the questions uh, and the order of the questions, which was very important. Um, and uh, Hal, uh, the director, cinematographer, he would look at it, he may add something, but uh, there was a lot of time in developing the questions so that we had confidence that we would get dramatic material. And I'll give you one, one little quick example. Uh, there's a very famous um, uh, colleague, well, you saw him in the film, uh, Long Yu, or Yu Long. I mean, he's the Chinese last names usually go first, which yeah. would be Yu Long. I but noticed uh, like a couple of times, you know, he, <laughs> people were referring to him as Yu Long and then his, his title is saying Long Yu. Wait, wait. Yes. So he, he, he was a childhood friend of the brothers. They grew up and, and their families were all working for the Chinese symphony and the, and the Shanghai symphony and the orchestra and the conservatory. So he's a very famous conductor and he's a guest conductor he, uh, at Lincoln Center every year for the Chinese New Year program. And he was really a character we wanted to get. And, uh, and he also took a couple of years to get. Uh, so I had this picture of him and Wagon, the younger brother, in their Mao suits when they were 12 years old in a, in a park. And I'd, I'd never met him and I'd heard about him, but I, I wanted to get into the story of the Cultural Revolution and music, but I didn't start there. And I had to think through how, how I bring this conversation into a warm, trusting point where I can pop a difficult question. Um, I, anyway, so I had the picture, I was gonna show it to him but I didn't want to show it to him to the last five minutes of the interview because I said, what if he just gets angry and walks out? <laughs> you know? so, so I save it to the end. And it turns out when I showed him the photo, he broke up laughing. You know, he, he said, he said, yeah, that's Wagon and I, uh, we were playing hooky from school that day. <laughs> Someone took our picture in the park, but it's really cute with their mouse suits. It's not in the film. There are some other mouse suits, but anyway, so that was a part of the writing that uh, was much more subtle and not traditional writing, particularly for dramatic feature. Uh, I would say, in fact, now that I'm talking about, I think the the developing of the of the of the braid and then also the interview sheets with the questions were the two major writing things. So, long answer to short question. So I have a, another question. I don't know that you've mentioned this yet. The, the four guys in your film, was it difficult to convince them to do this, uh, you know, or did they reach out to you first? How, how did all of that happen? Because it looks like you have complete access to their lives, their concerts, behind the scenes, their fighting. Um, you know, what was, what was their feeling about this whole thing? Um, it was a mix. I think first it was a little bit of caution um, uh, Wagon says uh, in one of the Q and A's in one of the film festivals, uh, he says, "Why would they want to interview us? We're not important. I mean, why would they want to do a film about us? I mean, he's he, he's a, a very modest guy. In fact, they all are, all four, very modest. And so they couldn't figure it out. And then when we told them the ideas that we had, um." They said, okay. I mean, I think from their perspective, they saw this, even though we have full con creative control, that this was a ultimately a nice promotional piece for them. 
not that they needed much promotion. And um, they, they agreed. But it's interesting, he raised the arguments. It was not the first six months, they were just nice guys in all the rehearsals, you know. Uh, everybody's happy, you know, and very little argument. But, you know, we were fly on the wall. Uh, they got to know us and um, they finally got comfortable and they just didn't pay attention to it. You know, um, we were just flies on the wall and they got very relaxed and we got some great, you know, those, those scenes. Uh, and again, I go back to Tracy, our editor, she did a, we think, you know, selfishly, a, a magnificent job of weaving those arguments as little segments, but then also at certain places in the film coming back to it. So that's how it worked, you know. Now, I don't know, you know, they, they all screened it before, when we finished. Not, we haven't done a final lock, but they all screened it. And they all said, in varying degrees, yeah, good job. They, they liked it because, you know, I think they looked at things selectively. You know, they saw their performance. They seem to do well seeing the arguments. So, um, you know, it was great. Worked out. You know, we're very happy with uh, their their response. Michael, if uh, where can we, um, if someone's interested in learning more about the film, where can they go? I'm sorry? If someone wants to learn more about the film Behind the Strings, where can they go? Um. A Facebook page. We're redoing our website as we speak. Uh, they could also go for, um, uh, as I mentioned, the Beloit International Film Festival in Wisconsin is up right now. And you don't have to, you know, uh, purchase the film to get information. You can see it. There's their website's got uh, you know different pieces of uh, copy, um, and um, uh, so th those are the two places. YouTube, um, there are, I think, four or five um, Q&As from other film festivals that have been done. Um, and um, that's where it is right now. But um, if they go on Facebook, it's um, uh, facebook.com forward slash or backslash uh, behind the strings, all one word. Uh, that's there. And um, so that's where they can see it. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and I really want to encourage you and congratulate you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and for sharing your film with our audience. We really do wish you the best. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Nice meeting all of you. You too. Likewise. Uh, and Michael, uh, good luck to you in the film. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.